It's not often that I'm confused. And admittedly, I got a pitch that really made me think for a moment. Autonomous project monitoring and management? I'm not sure what that is. So I had to learn more and figured you might be interested too. Mike Senka joins me. He's the CEO of Movelia. We learn what it is and we understand the way they apply AI on this bonus episode of The Business of Tech. I'm teaching my first class over five weeks, starting on January 9th, 2024, Build Skills to Transform Your Business. Week one teaches you how to forecast tech trends for a competitive edge. Week two sharpens your decision-making in tech adoption. And in week three, we master the financial metrics like ROI and TCO to ensure your investments pay off. Week four is all about compliance and risk management. And week five lets you piece it all together to create strategic roadmaps for your business. Designed for both seasoned pros and those aspiring to break into the field, Join me for this five-week class. Link in the show notes to find out more. Well, Mike, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Dave. I really appreciate it. It's unusual for me that when I get offered of a guest or a new product, I cock my head and I go, huh? I don't get it. And and actually, in this case, it kind of intrigued me. Because you guys over at Movely are are doing something that you call autonomous project monitoring and management. I don't didn't get it. Don't quite understand it, Mike. Mike, what are you up to over there at Movely? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, the world didn't need yet another project management platform, right? You can't swing a dead cat without hitting one. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of them. I think we follow like eighty seven of them. Um, but when we set forth in this, we realized that there was a really big need around automation, that most projects and most organizations struggle with projects and have contaminated project data because it's just not possible for human beings to keep up with the dynamic nature of projects and project portfolios. So APMM, Autonomous Project Monitoring and Management, is just that. It's an automation of the data in the project, supervised by humans, but it automates a lot of the minutia and data that just drives PMs and organizations crazy. Uh, it also elevates the experience level. So you can take a really sort of inexperienced PM or somebody who's an accidental or a citizen project manager and really enhance their skills radically with APMM technologies. Um, for MSPs, the best way to think about APMM is it's sort of like it's like RMM for your projects, right? You know, decades ago, um, before there was RMM, it was a break fix business, right? You were scrambling, you had stress, you didn't know what was going to happen in your customers' networks. You got unpleasant surprises all the time and you were scrambling for it. And RMM came out and allowed a much broader span of control for engineers. They could manage and observe networks deployed across the country or across the globe for that fact. And it identified problems early, helped you resolve those problems early. APMM does the same thing. It's autonomously monitoring your projects and your portfolio, identifying those risks early, allowing people to have a much larger span of control around those projects. And once again, like I said, allowing them to operate at a much higher capability and efficiency level. So it's really helping transform uh, the industry and especially in the MSP space, because honestly, they get it, right? They're a very technically savvy crew. They understand sort of advanced engineering and technology. So we love the MSP market because they completely get the value proposition of why this automation matters to them. Okay. So if I'm a regular project person, right, I'm used to building out like a project schedule. I might yep. use a tool like Microsoft Project or 
probably just a big Excel, right? Like a list of, right. of tasks. Kind of walk me through what's different here. So I, because I, I, I would assume at some point there is a process that's the same of I've got to load in my initial project. Then where does it change? Yep, absolutely. So you can load your projects and build your projects out in our platform, just like any one of the collaborative project management platforms, or as you said, Microsoft Project or Primavera or even a spreadsheet, right? So it's designed to be very fast, you know, clicking through like you would in a spreadsheet when you're building it out. Once that's built out, however, there are some very fundamental differences between what we do and anybody else in the world around this. And the first is we look at that project and once again, it'll look like a project with phases and orders and tasks and subtasks, but we look at that almost like it's a programming language, right? And this idea of saying, hey, you shouldn't just be managing work, you should be programming work. And so carrying on that theme, we actually debug the project plan, right? So there are clear objective measures for the structure of a project, best practice, things that lead to an accurate project structure, discrete math components. We have the world's first debugging engine around that project plan. And so we can identify those bugs, just like a programming debugger, allow the PM to go in, identify where those bugs in their plan occur, remediate those bugs, and then they can have confidence that their forecasts, their scores, and their schedules are accurate. We also have a top-level score, something called RPACs, which is Robotic Project Assessment Index. And you should think of it like a credit score for a project, right? It's a zero to a 1,000 score. It's an objective number, univariate value. So when someone looks at that number in a portfolio, they can quickly understand, uh-oh, do we have a problem in this project? Does it mean A, is it poorly structured? B, is it late? Is there a critical path delay? C, do we have some sort of resource problems, capacity conflicts and other issues? or any one of several dozen structural defects or capacity issues. So this idea of this automation around and continual observation and automation are critical to people being confident in an accurate schedule. The last part of it is we have an AI agent that will guide users through remediation of that project, right? You can have nearly an infinite number of defects in a project plan based on the combination of those issues. But to remediate it, you have to remediate it in a very specific order. Otherwise, it becomes a whack-a-mole problem. You change this, another problem appears in another way. So there's an AI agent called Carmen that will guide people through the remediation of that project. And once again, this tool set allows someone who is a very inexperienced PM to operate and produce project plans and structures around that at a very high capability level. Because we know that's a big challenge too in the MSP industry. Lots of times they have these citizen project managers or accidental project managers. So elevating their capabilities so they can build and execute on plans they have confidence in is a critical component to their success. Now, I'm always intrigued to understand a little bit more what you mean when you say it's got an AI agent, right? Because we all throw around the term a little bit. Right. Well, talk to me about like what what you mean by that. How much of is it learning? What is it doing? What's the model around it? Tell me a little bit more about the AI. Yeah. So there's so there's a broad spectrum, and AI is a very obviously broad encompassing term in the market today, right? So we we when we look at things, there's sort of white box AI and black box AI, and I don't know if you've heard of those terms or if listeners have heard of those terms. You know, black box AI is like a large language model the generative AI, the, the things that we're all hearing about lately in, in the market, right? So uh, ChatGPT, right, is a large language model, generative model, it's a black box. And black box meaning we can't interpret why or how it's coming up with the answers that it's coming up with. If it makes a mistake, you kind of don't know why it's a mistake. And even the CEO of those organizations will come forward and say, hey, this is why it's not ready yet, we're careful. 
white box AI is interpretable AI. So you do understand why it's making the decisions it's making. It is a much more observable model for the process, not only in the data and in the answers that you're looking to get. So in our platform, we have white box AI. We do have a black box AI uh, component coming where we have a, a chatbot assistant where we're vectorizing data in that process as many organizations are for their tasks and their data in their process. But the majority of the value when we talk about predictive dates and process, the remediation of the projects and looking and analyzing that data, that's all white box AI. And it's really important because you can't be put in a situation where you go, I don't know why it came up with the wrong answer, or I don't know why it came up with the answer it came up with. Don't just tell me a neural net, right? So that's really critical in getting those answers. And and once again, it depends on everybody has different de definitions for AI. Some For some people, AI is, oh, it's gotta be machine learning to be AI. And other people have a broad definition of AI that anything's auto, anything that's automated and supportive in the process. So we have components across essentially all of those spectrums. There are different pieces in each different part of the platform. It's not just one thing. I think a lot of other organizations that are coming out going, hey, we have AI now, and they generally mean this black box. They're leveraging one of the large language models, and they're utilizing that to vectorize data and pump it into their system to give answers so you can do natural language processing. And like I said, we've got that component too. But when we talk about sort of debugging projects, guided debugging of those projects in that process, tracking the data, forecasting, doing statistical and probabilistic modeling on dates, all that stuff is more in the realm of what we would say is kind of white box AI, if that makes sense. It does. So, so is it learning over time? Does it learn things like engineer performance, understand how reliable somebody's time entry is? Like, is it learning as it goes? So it's a, it's a really interesting question, right? So we are capturing that data and measuring it. Now that we're coming into the MSP market, years ago, you know, several years ago, we started to roll that out. And when we were more in the human capital space, it felt too big brother. They, did, <laughs> they honestly didn't want people measured like that and having that performance because we were showing candlesticking and variance of performance based on on-time delivery. That seems to be very important in the MSP space. So we're going to start to reintroduce or resurface some of that stuff on an engineer by engineer basis because that seems to be so critical and important to this audience. Well, you just talk, tell me a little bit then about the history, like, cause, cause you are, you're, you're newer to the MSP space, but I'm also interested in understanding the applications beyond just specifically MSP in the other spaces. You know, where, where have you taken this tool before? Yeah. So one other industry that we're involved in is through one of our large partners, uh, Komatsu. So Komatsu, uh, I'm sure people on the podcast are familiar with Caterpillar, the large excavators and bulldozers and mining equipment we see all over the world. Uh, Komatsu is actually the second largest heavy equipment manufacturer in the world based out of Japan. And Komatsu OEMs our technology for their uh, autonomous construction management. And, and, and they started, Komatsu back in, I think, 2011, 2010, built the first autonomous bulldozers and excavators, right? And they did this because they said, look, we're, our society's aging out. And if we don't automate operation of bulldozers, we're not going to have anyone to build bridges and roads. This is going to be a problem. We got to take a really inexperienced person, stick them in one of these things and allow them to operate at a very high capability level. So they learned about us about five years ago uh, in the earlier stages of the company and saw that we were doing the same thing for work and project management. Because this problem exists just like it does for MSPs that exists in the construction space. Uh, and so we've been really fortunate to have this partnership with Komatsu over the last five years um, to bring this into the construction industry. We're also in retail, manufacturing, finance, and those areas as well. Um, 
the, obviously the idea of work management and digitally transforming how work is managed is a broad problem. Um, I'll tell you personally, as we were going into this, we knew this need to go from this idea of managing work to programming work was a necessary evolution and change. There's big advantage, but you just never know market timing, right? You got to find a segment that's willing to make that shift. It's always that classic, um, are you trying to put out the Apple Newton or the I Apple iPad, right? You know, it's just timing is a big part of, of what happens in the market. But um, we're seeing now that the timing is right for this digital transformation, especially for MSPs, right? Just because it's a margin sensitive business. People have to be focused on getting their work done. It would seem like for this space that the larger the project, the more benefit there is because it feels like the more complexity, the more that you would want autonomous management of that. Give me a little bit of sense of the way that you think about the sweet spot for the kinds of projects and complexity where this makes the most sense. Yeah. So I would say that when you, when you think about projects industry independent, right? Sort of, I'll, if, you, if you were to say, let's not talk about MSPs, about project. Essentially, you're right. For the, the larger the project, the more critical that is. We've had customers with 15,000 projects or 15,000 tasks and 100 inter interdependent projects setting up interproject dependencies. And that obviously there was just no way any human being could track that, right? So the automation was critical in that. We also have customers where they have a high volume where they set up templates and they are iterating through the same project over and over again. And the efficiency of the execution of those projects are critical as well. So we always say, if you have a really big project or you have a portfolio of a lot of projects or similar projects, then this matters. If you have onesie twosie projects or they're really small, you know, most of those things can, people can manage those things on short lists and there's really no need to automate that. It essentially becomes overkill at that point. But for anybody who has a portfolio of work of repeatable work or has these large projects. And I, I guess the other thing I'll say is if it's critical that it's delivered on time. So the one thing that we do really, really well, and we always say that there isn't anyone close in the world to us as far as accuracy, schedule accuracy, we blow everybody out of the water. And if you absolutely have to be on time with something and you want to have confidence in that date, then that we always say there's nowhere else to look, that no one can even come close to us because we enforce that. We ensure that you're looking or we're rubbing the problems in your face to say, this is going to blow up on you. Gotcha. So I, I always like to ask leaders that are spending a lot of time with AI and thinking about it. How do you frame that question around ethical applications and what framework and what responsible AI looks like in your organization? How do you frame that? Yeah. So for us, because we're looking at supporting the human interaction in a supervised way, we're not looking to replace so, so when we say, hey, especially in the white box AI side of things, because it is interpretable and configurable by the operators and owners, it's not running off into left field making its own decisions. Even the black box AI components that we do, we're locking down in a very structured way and vectorizing their data and industry data. So there's less of sort of an open response or, or interpreted response that I think a lot of these generic products have. But our our thesis and our process is always enabling and supporting the human, kind of giving them an Iron Man suit as opposed to, as opposed to replacing the role. Gotcha. Well, that fits in line with the way that I've been thinking about AI too. So I really appreciate it. Mike, I, I, now I get it. So I appreciate you spending a little time and, and helping me understand it. If people are looking in to get more information, how can they do that? Yeah, you can certainly come to our website, uh, uh, movila.com, which is uh, spelled M-O-O-V as in Victor, I-L-A.com.
And we obviously awesome. go to a lot of the industry shows. So if you're around, look for our name and in one of the vendor showcases. We'd love to talk to you. Awesome. Mike, appreciate you uh, helping me understand today. Thanks so much, Dave. Really appreciate you having me on. Looking to reach an audience of thousands of MSPs and IT service providers? Put your ad right here on the Business of Tech and be on the show that 64% of MSPs report having listened to. A recurring top 50 tech news podcast, there are affordable options for you to reach our audience and we can support any budget. Podcast listeners are more engaged, have a higher level of brand retention, and are more willing to listen to ads here than any other avenues. Want to know more? There's information at mspradio.com slash engage, including a button to book a time to talk. I'm looking forward to that discussion. The Business of Tech is written and produced by me, Dave Sobel, under ethics guidelines, posted at businessof.tech. If you like the content, please make sure to hit that like button and follow or subscribe. It's free and easy and the best way to support the show and help us grow. You can also check out our Patreon, where you can join the Business of Tech community at patreon.com slash mspradio or buy our Why Do We Care merch at businessof.tech. Finally, if you're interested in advertising on the show, visit mspradio.com slash engage. Once again, thanks for listening to me. I will talk to you again on our next episode of the Business of Tech. Part of the MSP Radio Network.